Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. We are back. We had a nice long winter break, but we are back in action. We have a very, very, very special podcast today. I'm very excited about chatting. It's going to be very historic. Very, very historic. I don't, I never thought I would say it about the 1990s, Andrew, that we would like do a historic podcast and actually just to discuss the 1990s. I guess we're getting old, right? Andrew Flint here from all the way from Siberia. He will be in the spotlight today because uh, we're going to talk a lot about his team. How are you doing, Andrew? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, man. Not too bad. Um, being out here does age me somewhat. But um, I actually did a, I did a podcast earlier today where I reminisced about the 1992 Royal Rumble wrestling. Um, so it's a bit of a nostalgic day today, I think. Um, but the less the less said about my team today, the better, I think. You're doing two podcasts about 1992 in one day. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I'm impressed. I'm very, very impressed. Um, yeah, I guess this is, this is going to be a fun one and helping us do it is Tim. And Tim, you are just back from the motherland. Um, jet lagged are here? Yeah, very, very jet lagged because yeah, the time difference is crazy. I was there for two weeks and, uh, I didn't really change the time zone that still was on, on, uh, the Canadian zone, and by the end, it kind of got better, and now I'm back to Canada, and I'm changing zones again. It's a little bit exhausting, but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk about uh, a very nostalgic topic, and uh, Happy New Year to all the Football Guard listeners, and all the best to 2019 for all of us, uh, the Football Guard and our football clubs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just really curious, before we get into this, um, where did you go, Tim? Uh, I flew in from Vancouver to London, stayed there with my friends. Then I had an evening in uh, Moscow and I ran straight from the airport to Atkriti Arena because I wanted to get some uh, Spartak merch and I wanted to see the stadium in the flesh. But my um, 
my um, <clears throat> uh, my flight got delayed by 20 minutes and it landed in a different terminal of uh, Sheremetyevo airport. So it took my friend who was picking me up another 30 minutes to get from one terminal to another. And I was 10 minutes late uh, to the shop to to buy any merch or just to, to go kind of inside the stadium. Uh, but I took some pictures outside of Akriti Arena. It looks uh, pretty impressive. And after that, I spent pretty much two weeks in my hometown, Novosibirsk. Uh, it was all about New Year's. Uh, nobody really works in uh, Russia until kind of the 10th, the 11th of uh, January. So it was lots of partying. And uh, it was really nice to see lots of my friends who I grew up with, and uh, be finally in snow. It was, it was, yeah, different from Vancouver. I was all it was. They gave me all the warm clothing, and I was ready for uh, the beautiful Siberian winter. Yeah, no, no snow. Um, that's uh, Andrew. I have to report to you: we still don't have snow. Um, it's still nice, warm, ten degrees. If anybody listening to this for the first time says. I'm back in Canada and there is no snow. They will, they probably think we're charlatans just, you know, running people for a joke here. But yeah, um, there, there might be something called snow here at the moment. I'm not quite sure, but there's, um, I just can't see for the wall of white in front of me. So <laughs> <laughs> you tropical Canadians, honestly. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah. That's just how it is. But, um, boys, we have a very special podcast today because, um, we had an article. By Saul Pope, who sadly can't make it today, but uh, we'll have him back very soon. About the class of 1993, he based this entire article on a tweet that Sinead um, posted about uh, six months ago in August. And um, just going back to the teams that were involved in that league in the 1993 competition, Sinead was one of them because they were playing in uh, the second division at the time. And I thought... It'd be really neat because it's the winter break. There's not much happening in Russian football at the moment to just take a look back memory lane and go to the class of 1992, which is after all the first time, um, the, the Russian top division played after the fall of the Soviet Union. And, um, that got me thinking. And so I, I went on the Wikipedia page, went into my, uh, doctoral thesis and, uh, crammed up a bunch of interesting information and, um, yeah, that's what we're going to do today. So really excited. I think I, the first thing that we need to do is to provide a little bit of, of background. Um, of course, the Soviet Union collapsed in December 1991. Um, the signing of the Bela Accords, um, dissolved the union. It was, you know, I always say, how did this happen? Well, a bunch of leaders got together in the, the Belarusian forests, drank a bunch of vodka and basically divided up the country. Um, you think that's a joke? No, this is actually the truth. Uh, <laughs> I went to a talk in Washington DC a few years ago. Um, and, and one of the speakers was the Ukrainian president who was at the, who was in charge of the, the accords and said, yeah, that's basically what happened. We just got together and uh, chatted and divided up the country um, like warlords. So with the, the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, um, they also had to come up with a new competition, right, for, for the different independent states. And they all got their, their national divisions. Russia, of course, was a little different because the head of the, the Soviet Football Federation, Vyacheslav Koloskov, actually tried to maintain a Soviet championship of sorts by inviting some of the post-Soviet republics to play in a new national um, football league. 
Um, that got eventually shut down by the big clubs in Moscow who said, well, look, this is not going to be possible. We will have to travel a lot. There's different currencies going on. The country is in crisis financially. We don't have enough money to pay our players. We can't fly into places like you know, Northern Georgia, where Dinamo Suhumi, for example, played one of the teams that were, would have been involved in this new division or all the way to Chisinau to play against uh, Moldovan teams who also still wanted to be involved in the Soviet in a post-Soviet league. So instead they created the CIS Cup. And this is, this is a story, of course, for a different day. Um, something that we maybe want to talk to about as well. The um, CIS Cup was this post-Soviet Champions League of sort that was played until the 2000s. But yeah, instead they came up with, they had to come up with a new national league. And Tim, um, this is probably one of the first memories that you must have about Russian football, right? Because right around that time when the, when this new league was created, they had to bring up a bunch of teams from the lower divisions and we're going to chat about them in a moment. That must have been just a crazy time. Exactly. The, 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 this this uh, first season is my first memory of actually paying attention to what was happening in the league. I was a kid. Uh, I remember a few years before my uh, dad was talk, telling me about Spartak and I heard bits and pieces about the uh, last uh, Soviet league and a little bit about the 89 uh tournament but again it was just hearing from my dad i never watched the games but starting from 1992 i actually started reading the newspaper sport express which was back then the leading newspaper and i was paying attention to spartak games reading articles about some other teams and uh, also uh, watching some highlights there was a program which was called a football kind of like a ma- match of the day type of program and they would show the highlights of certain games. Obviously, not everything was televised because we had some clubs like, um, yeah, from very, very far away. Uh, for example, Dinamo Gazavik Tumen or Uramash uh, Ekaterinburg, some teams which were a little bit further away uh, from Moscow and probably didn't have enough um, technology to do a live uh, game. Uh, so <clears throat> I saw some highlights, but this is the first time I remember paying attention and actually... Um, Learning a little bit about the players, who were the, uh, obviously the focus, my focus was on Spartak since I was a, um, a child of Spartak's fan and that was the only team I kind of was ever supported. But I also obviously knew a little bit about the, the up and coming clubs, Asmaral, which was a very interesting team, uh, Dinamo, CSKA, Spartak, Vladikavkaz. So all those teams were, um, participating in the first league and, um, it wasn't, obviously that was a massive, uh, drop in quality from the Soviet League because Soviet League in the 70s, 80s uh, was definitely in the top six European leagues because the uh, Soviet clubs are regularly in Europe. They won the European Cups and, you know, the Russian, the Soviet team was very, very strong nationally. But obviously, you know, taking the clubs from the second tier of, of uh, Soviet football and even third tier of Soviet football, uh, to play in the new, uh, Russian league, obviously the quality dropped. Uh, the, the format was very interesting, which never repeated itself in the future years. So it was a little bit of mess. And like Anu, you said, the, the Soviet Union broke up in the end of 1991 and the season 1992 started probably in March, something like that. So they had to come up with this league very, very, um, quick. So obviously it wasn't perfect, but uh, that was the first season of Russian football. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit about the, the madness of it all. Ahead of, you know, ahead of this, this season, of the beyond, sorry, after the fall of the Soviet Union and ahead of this season, 
um, before this podcast and Andrew, we, you, you went through the Wikipedia page and you said, Oh, Peter Neustädter. It's like, look at him. He was in there. And of course, he's the father of Roman Neustädter. Tell me about some of the memories that you had because you said right away, Oh yeah, I remember 1992, um, the Manchester United match, of course, right? Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, yeah, I mean, from my point of view at that point, I was, I was what, seven years old, eight years old at the time. Anything, if you said the word Russia, uh, it was just an air of mystery. Nobody knew anything mm. about it, certainly from, I mean, at that age anyway. Um, and I mean, I, there were a million ways I could describe it. One would be when I think of, uh, Andrei Konchelskis. He arrived at Manchester United, a complete unknown. Nobody knew who he was. Um, you know, he had long hair and he was expressive, he was entertaining, he was exotic, he was different. Um, and, you know, the, he came over with no, no English skills at all, but he had that open mind. Um, and people were like, hmm, right, let's see what, let's see what Russia's about. And then, you know, Manchester United were drawn against Rota Volgograd. And, and, uh, my only memory of that, unfortunately, was the fact that Manchester United went out, but our goalkeeper, Peter Schmeichel, um, scored an equalising header uh, at Old Trafford, but against players we just we just had no idea about. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the nineties, for English football followers, there was even a fair bit of mystery, even about continental Europe, uh, European football, like in Italian leagues or Spanish leagues. Little was known really, but it was starting to become popular. But but the Russian league, absolutely nothing was known about it. So. Um, yeah, around that sort of time, um, I guess the nearest I would get would have been, and his, you're going to laugh at this probably, but it was from a comic strip. Um, in England, there's a very famous comic called Roy of the Rovers, which finished a fair, fair time ago. Um, and he always wins, of course. He's tall, he's athletic, but most importantly, he's Western European. Uh, so every time he plays an Eastern European team or a Russian team, of course he wins. Um, and the comics have always, always made out how difficult and cold and dark and mysterious it was. So it was, um, I wish I'd got into Russian football much earlier, but it would have been very difficult around that time, unfortunately. The Wild East ups, I the think, Wild East. I think that's yeah. they're probably the best way to describe it. And it was like that when you look at the economic history of the country, it was, a, it was full of opportunity, but it was also, um, very chaotic. And, and Tim, you alluded to this. Let's, let's talk about what they did, um, with this league, because 
die Soviet Vishaya Liga, of course, was the, the season before, right? CSKA Moscow won that competition um, and then did very well in the Champions League, the first ever Champions League season, eliminating Barcelona to reach the group stage. But let's talk about the way they did this with the league because they decided on 20 clubs, right? Mm-hmm. And you, as you said, um, some of these clubs were from the first First league, of course, you know, they had to bring up teams from what was the Soviet first division, which was, was actually a very, very decent competition. It was a Soviet wide league. Exactly. But they also had to bring in up teams from the third division. Um, I, I don't personally think they had to do this because, um, there would have been enough teams. And eventually, I mean, they would went down to 16 teams in the first division anyways, but they decided on 20 teams in two groups. I mean, uh, Let's, let's chat about this. I mean, what do you think when you see this, this format that they came up with? Well, the format looks a little bit messy, but we, I just a little bit want to give a little bit of background how all that happened because in the, um, the final years of the Soviet League, obviously the, the, the league consisted not only of Russian teams, but also Ukrainian, uh, Lithuanian teams, uh, Georgian and all other Soviet republics. So when, uh, the Russian championship started, only five Russian clubs, clubs from Russia, were in the final uh, year of the Soviet League. It was CSKA, Spartak, uh, Torpedo, who won the first three places of the last uh, 1991 Soviet League in that order, and also Dynamo Moscow and Spartak Vladikavkaz. So only five out of 20 teams um, which participated in the first Russian season were part of the uh, last year of the Soviet League. Uh, and then uh, they had to go down uh, down the 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 ranks and um Lokomotiv Moscow who was uh, who got the 16th place in the um Soviet League. They were supposed to be, get relegated but they didn't. They they transitioned to the top league. And then also the few few teams Rotorvolgograd or Almashikterimburg which is now Ural and uh, is uh, Andrew's team uh, Rastilmash, uh, from Rostov, which is Rostov now, Lokomotiv Nizhny Novgorod, Tekstilchik Commission, Shiniki Raslavl, Fakel Varunish, Dynamo Stavropol, and Zenit St. Petersburg, and another Andrews team, Dynamo Gazavik Tumen, which is FC Tumen right now. So all those teams, um, got added to the, um, to the first, um, the league of 1992 in Russia. But according to the um, Russian uh, Football Federation, that was enough. And they wanted to extend that uh, number to 20, like Yumano said, and they went and got three clubs, uh, Asmaral from Moscow, a very interesting team, which we will talk about today. Akian Nahotka, which is located pretty much where Vladivostok and Khabarovsk are located on the other side of the country, and Krulia Samet of Samara, who became, um, you know, a regular in the Russian league. So that made up, uh, 20 clubs, uh, which were divided into two groups, group A and group B. And it was kind of like the, I don't know, like, uh, it was a relegation, not a relegation. It was uh, two groups. The first four teams in the group, uh, in each group, uh, would go and uh, create a top eight which were fighting for the champions. And then the remainder of the teams would uh, have like the bottom group and they would fight for relegation. So it was a quite a weird uh, setup, uh, unnecessary too many teams. And therefore they would have to do it uh, by, uh, <clears throat> by, uh, by two groups. And also those groups were not really done by any geographical uh, location, how it could have been smart idea. It's still you had Akian Nahotka from 
from Nakhotka, which is on the other side of the country, and Dynamo Moscow and Lokomotiv and CSKA were in the same group. So it, they didn't really, and for example, yeah, they could have grouped together uh, clubs by location, by, but they didn't because I assume it would have not been equal, uh, you know, equal football quality. But yeah, it was a very strange setup. Uh, next year they discontinued they set up and they had a normal league but um i guess yeah it was pretty anarchy um not only in the russian football but also in the whole country so the weird decisions were made yeah it's that's it's a good way of putting it the weird decisions were made because not only did they have two groups they also decided that when the two groups were played that the top four teams went into the championship round as you said right and then the the bottom six of each division went into a relegation round, but they didn't carry over their points. They, they like, they just like the championship yeah. round and the relegation round were two completely new competitions. <laughs> yeah, like this, this is, this is pretty mad in, in, in current modern day circumstances. It just doesn't make any sense. So uh, to summarize the, the first champ, uh, the first league season was quite a mess. It was a very weird structure. Uh, strange clubs, unnecessary number of teams, and also the format was, uh, and the points was, uh, really strange. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it will be an interesting conversation talking about this weird league. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew, when you see this setup, what, what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Word. Well, what I, what I say is it set, set a, an awful precedent for the utter disorganized mess that we have nowadays. I, I don't really get the logic behind trying as much as possible to spin it out. You think about the logic. You're splitting up. Okay, Soviet highly over those crazy, crazy distances. Um, and you, and you're now going to have, what was it? You actually mentioned only five teams, um, actually based in Russia in that Soviet high league. Why make the rush to try and make it as big? It's an opportunity to slim it down. Um, it's just the complete reverse logic that I will, I will never fully, um, reconcile with. The, that whole concept of a, a championship round, I know it, well, I say I know, I'm assuming it is more common in North American sports, but for English fans at least, uh, it's a very, very bizarre concept. And I would never, I would never agree that it is a decent way to finish. A league is a league is a league as far as I'm concerned. Um, and the appropriate number of teams at the beginning should be into it. Um, you know, splitting it up into bizarre spin-off rounds, I, I, I don't see the logic of it. Um, however, one thing I will say is at the lower end of the league system, and I'm, how many times have we said on this podcast that we talked about the need to restructure the Russian Football League system? Perhaps something roughly along these lines might work at the lower end. I don't think at the top level it would, but at the lower end, perhaps, perhaps it would make some sense. Um, you know, a way to regionalize the, the, the system in the second and third tiers and perhaps make traveling distances slightly bearable. But this, the, the, the <laughs> oh dear, it was an opportunity to slim down and they did the opposite. So, um, they get perhaps <laughs> no, no from me. I, ju I just think the politics behind it all, right? Everyone must have scrambled to get into this first division because all of a sudden you have a team like Okeana Hotka, you know, no one ever heard of them before, um, playing in the first division or, or Asmoral Moscow. Um, I, I think when it comes to exotic names, we kind of need to start with them because, um, 
Yeah. They were purchased by an Iraqi businessman. Yes, you people, you heard this right. An Iraqi businessman purchased them because the country was opening up during perestroika and glasnost, right? And all of a sudden, football became a huge business, um, business opportunity because this, there's this untapped market of many, many, many professional players that all of a sudden, and down the Soviet market, football market opened up in 1987. Um, an agency called Soft Intersport regulated it all the transfers of assets to the West. Um, I wrote a paper on this back in university and, um, this club was bought by this Iraqi businessman and then named after his kids, Tim. I mean, he, yeah. this is such a fantastic Paris Troika story. Yeah. Uh, so in 1990, then, uh, Hussam Al-Khalidi, who yeah, he absolutely said correctly, is a Iraqi businessman. He bought the club, um, and he called it Asmaral, and it was based on the first letters of his kids, his daughter Asil, so As, uh, and his second daughter Mariam, so Mar, and his, <laughs> his, his, um, son Alan. So it's Asmar Al. So he called the Paul Football Club based on just the names of his kids. Uh, this club was a little bit, I had a little bit of uh, heart and interest in it. And my dad told me about that because this club was built on the um, club, which was called Krasnaya Presnya, which was just a part of Moscow. And the whole idea of that club was pretty much the um, uh, growing up, uh, the, the building up the, uh, the players for Spartak team. So it was kind of like a Spartak um, connected club. Uh, Alek Romansov was the coach. Uh, Alexander Mostavoy started playing there. Uh, one of the other players who played there, Sergei Rodionov, Vasily Kulkov. So all those players ended up playing for Spartak and that club was pretty much a base uh, for young uh, Spartak players to uh, to go up and then move on to, to the main team. Uh, but that with the, the new Asmaral, that Spartak connection didn't uh, stop because the coach was the legendary coach, Konstantin uh, Beskov, who was the legendary, absolute legendary player uh, who played for Dynamo Moscow, who was their coach, and then who spent... Um, a decade uh, coaching Spartak, and he became he he became he is a legend of Soviet football, and uh, that was um, one of his final jobs in in his career. He worked with Asmaral, and also the uh, one of the key players uh, was Gavrilov, who was uh, already aging, but he used to play for Spartak, and he was the key player of Spartak. He used to play with uh, Fyodor Cherenkov in in the eighties, and he was finishing his career at at Asmaral. So that club. It was very, very interesting. And, um, you know, that's pretty, pretty much the first, um, the first, you know, Russia, obviously Russian history when a wealthy person would come and buy a club and, um, make something out of it. Yeah. It's the first, should we say the first foreign ownership yeah, oligarch I style? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you, people forget that. At that point, Iraq was a very rich country, right? Because of all the oil money. And this is, of course, before the, the Gulf War, um, before Iraq's invasion of, of Kuwait and, uh, the entire, all the, all the bad stuff that happened afterwards. But at this point, Iraq was one of these like up and coming oil states. So this guy, Hussam al Khalidi, yeah, he's, uh, he's went in and bought a team and tried to, tried to make money. Um, should we, Andrew, should we credit Hussam Al-Khalidi as the original oligarch then? Well, I think it shows a bit of imagination, if I'm being briefly honest. I mean, that time, the utter chaos that was swirling around that I think you were very brave to take on in your studies, Mami. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, if you didn't, you were missing out, as simple as that. I mean, you can, yeah, people can moralise all they want about how some took advantage, and certainly there were practices that wouldn't, um, well, I'd like to think wouldn't be allowed to do, or at least would be frowned on much more. But at the time, you know, if there's an opportunity to, um, to, to brand a club in your own image, it's always happened, whether people like it or not, um, in different ways, but why not? I say, um, I think it was, I think it was a, a, a time that it would be fascinating to have witnessed firsthand because my only, I, I wouldn't say reservation, but my regret perhaps is that I actually think we possibly will never quite know exactly how it was simply because it was still an era before the significant advent of the internet, of course, and the way that information has been spread to us. You can never be entirely sure at this point, you know, exactly how influenced a report or an account of the time was because the, you know, the, the control over, um, what was, or what, what people didn't know what it was at the time, you know, exactly what the country was becoming. Um, that's my only regret, but you know, for, for a guy to come in, um, it, I, I say, why not? I say it was a good start. Yeah, Tim, you sort of were living through this time. Um, how was this perceived? I, I remember reading, for example, reports, and it's a little bit off topic, but CSKA Moscow, for example, um, the hockey team was bought by the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? And for, for just like a couple of years was run by them. I mean, this, this was wild. There was things going on that never happened again. Exactly. Yeah, that was you know that whole story was looked at as just an exotic thing. Uh, Asmaral definitely was a team which people talked about because of that uh, Iraqi connection, because that was really really uh, well foreign and just that was something new that never happened before. Especially you know uh, coming from Soviet Union, then Soviet Union was pretty much a very concluded, very closed down uh, country focused on themselves. Uh, not that many connections with outside world. And then you see in the first season uh, a businessman from Iraq. Iraq comes and buys a football club. Obviously, it was looked at as an exotic. No one really looked um, that deep into the, you know, how how the club was purchased. Everyone was like, oh, you know, this a strange name, a club which never existed before, and um, they were doing well. Another story because they they were that first season they did well, and um, thanks, you know, to the to the coaching staff and to some great players which they had. But it it was an interesting story. It was. Um, looked as a very, very exotic thing, especially back then, you know, because um, obviously, like, it was it was all new and um, it was a massive change from the Soviet League when everything was based either, you know, if you're at Seska, you connect to the army, if you're Dynamo, you connected to the police, if you're Dynamo Kiev, you represent Ukrainian Republic and so on. And here, some guy just comes and buys the club and kind of like in a modern way and creates a new club um, that was very, very different and very foreign. So people were interested and looked um, exotically suspicious, not sus suspicious as the word of negativity, curiously, curiously and uh, exotic looked at the Asmaral. Yeah, what a story. I, I, I think that one in particular, we have to explore in an article that's going to be out very soon on Football Grad. It's just, it's just, a, it's just so fascinating. I mean, um, it, just one of many fascinating aspects. Another one is one that we have recently explored on, on Football Grad. And um, everyone knows that Russia is a big country. 
Um, but during the time of the Soviet Union, I mean, the Soviet Vishaya Liga was a huge league, right? There was clubs from all over the country playing and, and, um, they had teams in Central Asia, et cetera, but not from the Pacific. But that door opened with the, <laughs> with the, with the fall of the Soviet Union. They actually managed to make the league larger, not smaller, um, <laughs> geographically. I know this is, this is mind boggling because Russia lost a lot of its territory, but they actually managed it. So they, Okia Nahotka. Um, yeah, I mean, lots of people know Luch Vladivostok, right? That's the team that has been in the Russian Premier League, um, even in the 2000s. So that a lot of people know about them. Uh, everyone knows Igor Akinthev's famous quote that uh, Vladivostok should be playing in the Japanese league instead. Um, Okia Nahotka <laughs> were actually the first team from the Pacific region to play in this division, Tim. I mean, when you, <laughs> When you look at the distances, and Nahotka is not exactly a big city either, right? It was just a fish canning city that had some uh, nuclear submarine station there. That's about it. There wasn't really that much there. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we also should include uh, on this Russian Wikipedia page, it shows the map of the clubs. You know how we always do have a club. And it's visually, Akian Nahotka is really on the furthest side of the, of the right side of the country. And the majority of clubs you see on the left side were the Moscow is, the Volgograd, Vladivostok, all those clubs. And li- listen, the decision to bring this team from the third tier of Russian football. So, like, it wasn't like, you know, they were not in the first uh, tier in, in the Busha Liga of the last Soviet year. So they, not, we, they didn't really qualify automatically. They were not in the second tier, uh, which teams, you know, just got added to there. That was a special decision. Okay, how about we go to the third tier? We bring Asmaral Moscow, Krylia Sovietov, and who else? Oh, Akian Nahotka from the other side of the world. Let them play in the first <laughs> league of the Russian uh, football. It was absolutely bizarre. Like, why... I don't know what the story and why specifically Akian Nahotka out of all clubs which were in the third tier of Russian decision was added to the first league, but it's absolutely insane in, insane to have uh, that team. No club, especially like you you, you alluded before, that uh, the times were tough, the money was, you know, very limited, especially with Soviet clubs, uh, sorry, with Russian clubs, and um, nobody really liked to travel all the way to Nahotka, and uh, no surprise that nobody really would, uh, w- was really happy about <laughs> Akian being in, in, in the league. Uh, one player who I would really would like to um, highlight was Alek Garin, who was a player uh, who played in Akian Nahotka and who was there, one of their main strikers. Uh, after that season, he moved on to Lokomotiv Moscow in 1993, and he became their top uh, striker along with Zaza Janashe, and those two were like the leading uh, strikers uh, for Lokomotiv. And Lokomotiv back then did very, very well in Europe, and those two players, Zaza Janashe and Alek Garin, became the leaders of Lokomotiv attack, and kind of their uh, attacking partnership is um, associated with the early 90s uh, success um, uh, Lokomotiv, which had in, in Europe, mostly in UEFA Cup and um, tournaments like that, but still, he was the player who um, pretty much I'm just looking right now at the squad from 1992 of, uh, of, um, uh, Akian and I recognize only four, uh, players, uh, their last names and one of those players is Alek Garin. The other uh, player is Alexander Adrianov, who was the son of the coach and a couple other, uh, players who, for example, Roman Tikhanovetsky, whose son ended up playing also in that region in the Far East and also got it banned from uh, marijuana use. And also the um, Alek Kokarev, who was another striker 
for Akian Nahoka, who was back then. Uh, the rest of the team, I don't even know. So none of them really. Oh yeah, there's Spirukas. Oh, yeah, there's a couple other players I know. But still, none of those players really made a big name except Alek Garin, who ended up being a very important player for Lokomotiv. And luckily, next year Akian Nahoka got relegated to the uh, lower division. Uh, ho- I hope I'm not spoiling anything. No, no, you're not. I was actually just gonna say that Tim, um, they did get relegated. They said, um, of course, there's reports afterwards because Luch Vladivostok joined them that next year right and then they both got relegated right away um, and up to this day there has been allegations um, that they were made to relegate because it was just too much travel uh, you, not uh, surprised for some reason no not surprised <laughs> I mean um, it is a long way it's it's a very long way um, and I, I want to get you in here Andrew because their local rival uh, their closest rival in that competition was a team from two men. Um, a great team. A great team. A 91-hour drive away, 7,145 kilometers. That was their local <laughs> rival. I, I, They had a derby the next year, right? Because Vladivostok um, made it up. And those two, two cities are only about 40 kilometers apart, although it's a 180-kilometer drive. I looked all of this up. Um, I spent a lot of time on Google Maps. Um, don't judge me. Anyhow... <laughs> Um, yeah, their local rival of sorts was a team called Dinamo Gasovic Tumen. I, I, first of all, that's a beautiful name. We all get to vote later on the most beautiful name of this first, uh, first season. Um, but I, I, I think that's an early, early competition winner already. Um, yeah. I hate to say this to Andrew. They sucked. <laughs> they were really bad. They, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's focus on the, the <laughs> let's see how I can brazen this one out. Um, Good luck, uh, yeah. <laughs> let, let, let's focus on the more important factor that, um, first of all, is for people who don't know, uh, Tumen is the greatest city in the world. Uh, it's pure coincidence <laughs> happened to live there, but, um, basically the, I'm going to be entirely biased here. The entire success of Russia as a country depended entirely on Tumen, the city and the region because that's where most of the oil comes from. Um, football is an incidental part at this point of time. Um, yeah, you're right, we sucked. We were absolutely terrible. They, they broke the record um, a few years later for the lowest ever points tally in the, in the Premier League. Um, so, as you very unkindly pointed out, they, I think, hold the record of being the only team to be in the, the, the Premier League twice and get relegated twice. But, um, yeah... We we didn't exactly um, oh god we didn't exactly do much at all of any of any note but I would like to say at that point um, the 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 period of time that we're talking about, as we've already mentioned was complete madness um, but it also meant players moved around a lot more than we well a lot more than we see now um, suddenly the market was opened up. Um, and you know the one of the greatest players to ever ever represent um, a two men team, Viktor Leonenko. Um, he he of course went on to play for Dynamo Kiev and, and Ukraine, um, but he was born in again the greatest city in the world. Um, but he moved on in in the summer of 1991 uh, to Dynamo Moscow. So had he stayed, who knows? Perhaps that uh, B table looked a little bit different, but. Um, 
Yeah, much rather you love. Too romantic. You're too romantic. Yeah, I just <laughs> want to point out too that uh, Dinamo Gasvik Tuman <laughs> finished twentieth in the Soviet First League the year before, which was not the last place. There were twenty-two teams in that league, but um, technically uh-huh. speaking, they were already relegated the year before. Yeah. Um, so t- <laughs> thanks a lot. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, <laughs> the only team to finish in relegation three times. In the top flight. Oh god! Right. Okay. Um, yeah. No. Bottom. The, the bottom line is, it was a complete mess. Um, I mean, let's let's be let's be honest. It was a complete mess of a first season. It was probably going to be with the nature of, like you described, having to piece together from different tiers of football. Um, but uh, yeah, Tumen will be back. I promise. Uh, we'll be challenging <laughs> for um, that glorious, glorious twelfth place in the league or something. Andrew, I'm just looking at the lineup of Dynamo Gazavik from 1992 from that season, and there's actually quite a few interesting uh, last names and interesting players. Uh, there's a, a right defender whose last name is Maslov. Does that ring a bell for you? It certainly does indeed. And it, for all Spartak fans, it soon will when, uh, when you see... Um, Pavel Maslov coming through. His father, Mr. Yevgeny Maslov, is a Tumen legend. Uh, he played, I believe it was over 400 games for the club. Um, and he was, well, he took charge of the team, um, earlier this season, but unfortunately his coaching skills are not as good as his playing skills. Um, but yeah, Mr. Mr. Maslov himself would have been there. Um, if, unfortunately he didn't do enough defending for us, but, uh, at least he tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also there's also a couple of uh, strikers which I would like to talk to, Vyacheslav Komolsev, who ended up playing for uh, Torpedo Moscow, and um, I believe he went on to play in, in Ukraine, Dynamo Kiev, and he was a big striker. And also uh, Vladislav Yarkin, who you probably don't know, but I played uh, with his son uh, when I was a kid. Uh, so his son, uh, Pavel Yarkin, uh, we were we played in the same team, and then Pavel Yarkin ended up playing in Rubin, Ska Habarovsk, and a few other clubs. So he dad, his dad, um, the my team, my former teammate, his dad was the striker in that uh, first year for Dynamo Gazevik in 1992. You know, we should we should let Andrew <laughs> a little bit off the hook because um, <laughs> his other team <laughs> that had the beautiful name Ural Marsh. <laughs> Huh? Um, gorgeous. I, I, again, we're going to get the vote on names because some of these names are just absolutely beautiful. But when we're talking about star players, um, Uralmash stayed in the league that year. They, they avoided relegation and they had the top scorer and, uh, Yuri Matveev. Um, so Andrew, you're a little bit off the hook. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like, I'd like to think that, uh, at least some teams that I'm associated with are not complete and utter. Rubbish at this stage. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you yeah, know, in, interestingly enough, you talk about the names. Um, and I mean, as our listeners may or may not know, I go to a lot of Oralia Katzenberg games in the present day and the fans still chant Oral Mash, not just Oral. They go Oral Mash, Oral Mash. They're very proud of, well, quite understandably, um, a period when they had some notoriety of, of sorts, but it's, uh, it's, that's the identity of the, of, of that particular team. I mean, the, the, the area where they were based, um, for at least part of their history and where they played whilst the current Centralny Stadium was being remodeled was in the 
machinostroitel area of Newcastle. <laughs> the, 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 you know, the, this was the industrial centre. A lot of English teams of, which have great history have always come from industrial areas, working class areas. And this is, at least an equivalent uh, situation in Yekaterinburg. So the Oralmash name is not just a it's not just an interesting name, but it's it does symbolise a really important part of the identity of the club. Um, so I mean that's of course we've already got the the, the most beautiful two names already guaranteed Dynamo Kazvik and Oralmash, of course. But um, there actually is more than just a pleasant sound to the name. The actual history and identity is, is heavily linked in there too. Yeah, also I'm also looking for for the Oral Mash um, lineup. There's quite a few again interesting interesting uh, names, and um, the captain of the club in that season was Vladimir Fedotov, who is now the coach of Orenburg, who is um, considered one of the most progressive um, current round uh, Russian coaches. So here's the connection. It's, yeah, I, I, some of the names that you see, I mean, even Matveyev. I mean, he is now still works for Oral and is, is in that setup, and he played all over Europe and. Turkey, etc. So it's, it's really interesting to see what happened to a lot of these players of the class of 1992. And I mean, some of the other interesting things, when you, when you look at the, the final table, um, the current league leaders of Russia, Zenit, were relegated that year. Or another team that, um, has an enormous history, right? Spartak Vladikavkas, later, later they would be called Alanya. Uh, people have to remember that was, your team's biggest competitor in the 1990s, right, Tim? Yeah, absolutely. Spartak Vladikavkaz was a very, very strong team, which did very, very well with uh, in the 90s, and it's directly li- linked to the famous Russian coach Vladimir Gazaev, who was uh, the man behind uh, behind the wheel of that club. Uh, they were, um, since the Russian league started, they were very, very strong. Um, they had very good lineup. with lots of good players. Vladimir Valev, Valer Gazaev wasn't the coach in the first season, but he became the coach in uh, in the 90s, and he was the man, uh, one of the people behind the success. And in 1995, uh, Spartak Vladivkas or Spartak Alanya won the league, and in the first 10, 10 years, Spartak won the league nine, nine times, and the only club who won Spar- the league be- besides Spartak, that was Spartak Vladivkas. So it's it's a very important team who played in Europe, not always very successfully, because we there's a legendary loss to uh, Rangers, which they lost at home. Uh, the score was 2-8. That was their uh, European success. But they had um, wonderful players. They have players like Mirjalal Kasimov, who was who played for Uzbekistan, but he was known for his very, very technical skill and who could put uh, the, who was like the modern day uh, Andy Hersler. He would put, he was very small, very technical, but he could put the uh, ball into the, into the, from the free kick, no problem. He was very, very dangerous. And uh, that team really became um, the team which uh, kind of symbolized uh, the 90s along with Spartak and Rotor Volgograd and sometimes Dynamo and Lokomotiv. Those were the clubs which led uh, the Russian league. And if you look right now at those clubs, Rotor Volgograd is struggling in FNL. Alanya, I believe they are in the third tier in, in PFL. So, uh, not everything went great for them. And especially, yeah, with Alanya, they, they had massive, massive issues. Unfortunately, the former uh, Russian champions right now are going through a very tough time. But um, they were very successful in the 90s. I, I, this is a great story too, Tim, because you know how they were funded. For vodka. <laughs> 
Yeah, what vodka? So people will say that's that's a joke, right? No, it's not. <laughs> they funded the entire operation by smuggling vodka and cigarettes across the Georgian border. Um, so, yeah. One that stopped the success of the club yeah. and stopped. Maybe there's a link. Maybe. Um, you, you, you think that, you know, with the end of, uh, illegal smuggling or, uh, it was tolerated by the state at the time because the state didn't want to pay for sports. So even Spartak Moscow was involved in this, uh, licensing of, uh, trading in cigarettes and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is how crazy it went because the state was like, we don't have any money. It's like, like and then the club said, okay, well, how are we going to pay? And the, the state is like, well, we could just close both our eyes on alcohol and cigarette trades. Then the club said, okay, um, let's do that. Let's fund our entire operation on, on smuggling alcohol and cigarettes. And that's how Sparta Galania being close to the Georgian border became wealthy and uh, successful. Um, it's a, it's a true story. <laughs> true story. True story. That's how it was. And pretty much everyone knew that they had like a, yeah, they had like this, I think some kind of something like, uh, related to the liquor, some kind of like brand which, which they were hiding behind, but everyone knew that it wasn't very clean operation. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic one. I, I, I love that. I mean, um, to get a little off topic, Dynamo Kiev, for example, was trading in parts of, um, intercontinental ballistic missiles to fund their entire operation in Ukraine. So <laughs> this is all yeah. true. Yeah, we're talking in the Wild East. Uh, so lots of great stories of that first year. Um, boys, we're getting towards the end of our podcast. So as, as fantastic as this all was, and uh, I, I promised a vote on the best name, and we have so many, so many <laughs> great Great names in this competition. Uh, Dinamo Gasovic, I'm pretty sure that will be Andrew's vote, but, uh, I mean, Rotor Volgograd, Krylia Sovetov, Asmaral, uh, Fakel, Voronezh. We haven't even talked about them. <laughs> Sounds uh, good, great in English, huh? Oh, Fakel Voronezh. <laughs> I, I, that's a name. I'm, I just want to see them back. Um, <laughs> Rossomash, you know, Today's FC Rostov, that's what they were, they were called back then. Um, yeah, Kuba and Krasnodar, there's another classic. Tim, I, I have to go with you first. Uh, of all those names, and this is really just name based, what is like, what's your favorite? You know, you also, uh, there was also a team from Nizhny Novgorod, Lokomotiv, but they had a second name, I guess, by the sponsor, which was Lokomotiv Ereti Sport. Uh, which also sounds Beautiful. different, but I, I, ha I have to go with Asmaral because this is just the story which really symbolizes um, all the change and all the anarchy which was happening back then in Russia. Um, a new club bought by Iraqi owner and uh, the name created by uh, the first letters of their kids. This is like the symbolic of the whole mess which uh, the country historically was there. The whole country, not only just the football, the country was was then. I witnessed it living there. Um, it was a mess, and the, you know this story, which, like I said, was looked at, was looked as very um, exotic and curious, kind of symbolizes and um, goes along with that first year of Russian football, and also because they did well, they also did very well in the league. So I think my vote will be Asmaral Moscow. And you, Andrew? Well, I mean, you know what my real real choices are, but <laughs> in the interests of impartiality, which I'm very familiar with, I'll have to go with something else. I'd go for Okan, just simply for the 
irritation they will have caused the Moscow-based clubs. It, it just it just tickles me. I know you mentioned Igor um, comments uh, about 12 years ago, whenever it was with Luciano Gia, but um, you've, you've had Lokomotiv complaining about having to play in, in Habarovs last season. It just, it just really, it really amuses me. You know, you've got all of these, all of these clubs. This is the birth of something new, and they're thinking, "Ah, oh, for crying out loud, I've got to go to the other, literally the other end of the planet to play a league game." <laughs> that, that amuses me. So, Okean, Pacific Ocean, Okean Nahorka, that for me, just, yeah. I find it fun. <laughs> yeah, we need to to end for the for the listeners because Oke- Okean is translated as ocean, so yeah. it's pretty much FC Ocean. So that's how romantic this name was. <laughs> it's it's in real, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's kind of like the Whitecaps, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have to travel. But kind of, you know, some for example Dallas. But yeah, it's it's not the same Dallas going to Vancouver to play. Yeah. Uh, Spartak Moscow going to play to Okean Nahotka. That's way further. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I I know uh, the Russian football news. I have to give them a shout out. They recently did an article on like uh, mapping what what the Russian league would look like if you tr- uh, put it on the European map, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. that's a good oh yes, yes, it's a really good image that actually I, I like. I, I have to give that a huge shout out because that's just fantastic work. Um, but my oh, vote. Yeah. yeah, my vote is textile chick commission. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of that too, I'll be honest. Yeah, that's a good choice. I mean, that is just brilliant. Um, local, local team from the Volgograd Oblast, Textilchik Commission. So the, the textile workers. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, um, this, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think we need to go down memory lane a little bit more often because there, there is since so many stories there. Uh, so much to talk about the wild 1990s and as we we have a couple more months of the winter break so we'll probably throw in a couple more podcasts like this one in there um until then let's let's ask uh, the, the listeners what they would like to maybe to, to hear because there's lots of stories and yeah, you know absolutely. obviously the first league is, is it's a crazy one but there's there's many many more crazy stories which we come up with and let us know what you would like to to hear about yeah, that's a really good idea. So if you just, I mean, as we post this on Twitter, contact us on Twitter, email us, um, comment section underneath the articles that we have on footballgrad.com. Let us know. You want us to discuss something? We have, we have another two months to kill until the league kicks off. So, um, <laughs> he can do pretty much whatever. Um, so yeah, let us know. Um, but boys, little, little round, um, Andrew, Two months until the Russian league comes back. What are you going to do with yourself? Well, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I, if anybody wants to um, fund a ticket to Cyprus, I'd love to cover the Fennel Cup, which is taking place in a few weeks' time. Um, or go even more better, a ticket to Qatar, watch the Match TV Cup, um, which your team are playing in. Oh, yeah, I'll take this one. Uh, uh, <laughs> you take that one, I'll go to Cyprus. Um, <laughs> You know, interesting enough, I, I saw a picture on, on Twitter of the, on Instagram, sorry, of Oral's players. Their, their team bus in Cyprus had broken down and they basically hitched a lift in a pickup truck to get <laughs> to the training. And this is the, this is the world we live in today. Uh, I miss it. I miss those sort of stories. But, uh, what will I do till then? Uh, for, I hope this match TV cup is going to be entertaining because other than that, I've got a, no, actually, no, you know what I will do? I actually can be positive about Manchester United for once. I'll watch a bit of English football in the meantime. Oh, yeah, good. congrats, by the way. You finally have a coach who you like. <laughs> oh, 
Brilliant. It's good. I wish I wish my club had someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Tim, what are you up to on, on you know until it all comes back? Yeah, well, I've been paying attention uh, to the Spartak. Spartak came back from from the holidays, and uh, there's quite uh, you know the training. And the, as as any club, they have some uh, reports from the training ground. They played the first uh, game today, and they won five two against Lokomotiv uh, Uzbekistan. But yeah, I'll be glued to the um, to the to the Machteva Cup, which starts uh, on Monday, and uh, maybe we will even mention a few things uh, on Twitter or maybe in the next uh, podcast. But it will be interesting to see how the clubs, how the top clubs uh, will line up because it will be really playing the top clubs. Spartak, Zenit, Rostov, and Lokomotiv, I believe. So all the you know top clubs will be in in contention. So we will get a chance to see them play against each other and see uh, some of the new players. So that will be the focus. And if you would like to follow me, Russian Team sixty one on Twitter and Rocket from Russia on Instagram. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, we will definitely keep an eye on the Match TV uh, Cup. Um, I've been going down uh, the nostalgia route the last few weeks. There's been lots and lots of old art- articles that have come up on footballgrad.com. Um, yesterday, we've done one on Bunyokto Tashkent. Uh, remember when they were a big thing, kind of like the yeah, Anshi yeah, yeah. Kala of, of Central <laughs> Asia. So that's that's an article that's up on footballgrad. We have the class of 1993. Great article by Saul Pope. Fantastic read. Please check that out. Um, I might tweet that out again um, when this podcast comes out. So that's all of that can be found at Football Grad Live. And you can follow me at Manuel Weff. Well, boys, that does it. Until next week, we're back in action. Das wird done. the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.